You're listening to Cancer Covered. Those numbers are helpful if you come in with a new anemia. They are not all that helpful for you because we are causing that. Yeah. And a bone marrow that's recovering from chemotherapy is going to make a lot of funny looking cells and that creates a lot of noise and some of those other numbers you're talking about. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. We draw blood on patients in the cancer clinic so often that it's almost become a standard greeting. Why? What are cancer doctors looking for in all those gallons of blood we test every year? In this episode, we'll explain what the most routine blood tests are really for, why we need them, and also clarify some common misconceptions about what those blood tests can and can't tell us. Brad, it's great to see you. Thanks for taking the time. Mitch, it's good to see you as well. Brad, we do blood tests so commonly in the cancer clinic that I think sometimes our patients feel shortchanged if they come in for a visit and don't get a blood draw. Do you ever run into that? Yeah, we do a lot of blood work, and even the nurses will pick on us like, you're not getting labs in that patient? It's no, not, not really. And patients always ask, what, what do we do with the labs? My labs look good, and what does that actually mean? And I think most people are surprised to hear that, that if say a person has an early stage colon cancer or a breast cancer, maybe they were seeing their doctor regularly and getting blood tests, and they'll ask, why can't you see the cancer in the blood? Or can you see the cancer in the blood? But we really can't very often, can we? No, we, we don't get a good look at the cancer in the blood. We don't have good assays to detect tumor cells. We commonly don't have tumor cells floating around in the blood. And we don't have, we haven't really perfected the technology yet to say, um, how can we catch this early from blood tests? Our, our tests now are more What's the organ function look like from the chemotherapy we gave you? Is there anything else that's popping up with the blood test in regards to kidney or liver function or the bone marrow function? Those are really the main things that we're looking at with the blood test, not specifically is the tumor recurring from the blood test. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of future in... DNA and and RNA-based testing to identify cancers. We've made some strides in colon cancer, although it's not part of the the standard of care yet. It probably is the future as that technology expands. When I think about that technology, too, though, if you're picking up cancer DNA in the blood, how does it help you in treating the patient, and what can you do for the patient when you've already detected that. Typically, when we see something like that, we're already thinking of a systemic cancer that's spread to multiple areas. And it's not just enough to know that it's there. That's the other problem. It's like, how much of it is important? I mean, there may be trace amounts that that aren't important and that mean that you've either got dormant cancer cells, not enough to cause a problem, or maybe you've got enough that's eventually going to cause a relapse. We don't yet know the difference. Yeah, and one thing we are doing with these tests is we're we're definitely causing some anxiety in in patients, Mm -hmm. knowing that I've got a little bit of cancer DNA. But like you said, is this just leftover from killed cells that are slowly deteriorating? Or is there a cancer that's never going to be a problem again that's just dormant? And that is the question that we don't know the answers to. And sometimes fancy new technology just leads to a little more anxiety and cost and doesn't lead to actually better care and better outcomes for patients. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. And while every physician approaches cancer with their own unique skill set, we all agree on this one simple idea. Hi, I'm Dr. Gayu, 
a physician at Green Bay Oncology. The truth is, a cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and overwhelmed. And these moments are exactly when you need support the most. That's why all our doctors rely on the support of our team of qualified medical professionals. And here's two of them. Hi, I'm Madison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers, we see how meaningful connection brings strength and healing to patients and loved ones facing cancer every single day. Our patients and physicians agree, sharing your experience in a safe space with others is powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual and in-person cancer support group facilitated for you wherever you are on your cancer journey. So whether by internet, phone, or in-person, you'll have access to the support of a community on a similar path. To join us, visit gboncology.com and click on support. Still a lot of work to be done. I'm hoping that before I retire, maybe in the next eight to nine years, that, that we'll uh, be able to have something like that usable in the clinic, maybe one of these days soon. Yeah, absolutely. If we start to get, we have a couple clinical trials with those here at Green Bay Oncology where we actually have the trials for colon cancer and detecting the DNA. And mm-hmm. what do you do for it? Does chemotherapy help? salvage that situation? That's a great That's a great question, and I'm excited to see what the answer is. I am too. There are a couple of exceptions. I'm thinking of one in particular. There are cancers that have specific mutations that we can detect pretty easily with a blood test, and you can steer your ship by it. And the disease I'm thinking of is CML, chronic myeloid leukemia. Could you comment more about that? Yeah, CML has one specific mutation that really is a driver mutation of that disease. And we have excellent targets for that, oral pills that are called tyrosine kinase inhibitors that can suppress CML typically for decades. And we can detect that DNA and watch that DNA in the blood and see how deep of a response we can get with our treatment options. Back in the ancient days when I was in residency and fellowship, we were still having to get bone marrow biopsies on these folks pretty routinely. And now all of it is done by the blood. And not only can you map out somebody's prognosis really accurately based on the fall and that level in the, in the first 18 months, we're even using those levels to even in some cases make decisions about whether people can come off therapy. That's one example where the blood tests have worked out great. But again, as you said, it depends on the cancer having one specific, it's always there kind of mutation. Most cancers just aren't like that. Yeah, no other cancers really. We're we're trying to turn other cancers into that, but it's, it's taken some time. They're just not cooperating as well because they're just not as monomorphic. In one case, a CML is for the most part, just like another. But lung cancers and breast cancers are in many ways as different as the people who have them. Yeah, the heterogeneity of of the other cancers is is really the thing that we're trying to work around in the world of molecular biology and treatment options and even assays to, to monitor what's the disease state. As blood tests go for cancers, besides a molecular test, and we do have and have for some time had other types of blood tests that have played a role, I I would say they have a bit of a checkered past in in cancer medicine, and this is the uh, so-called tumor markers. Though blood tests looking for abnormal gene expression may be relatively new to cancer care, monitoring cancer patients by looking for traces of the cancer in their blood isn't a new idea. So-called tumor marker tests have been around for decades, but many aren't as helpful as we might hope. Yeah, tumor markers can be helpful. I think using them in trajectory of cancer 
can sometimes guide our treatment and give us ideas like how often do I have to repeat a CT scan or am I concerned right. about the disease progressing? But these are very different types of tests. They're measuring very different kinds of things. We talked about the with the CML, we're measuring actually a, a mutation, a, a nucleic acid sequence. In this case, we're usually measuring a glycoprotein that sometimes is shed by the cancer and sometimes isn't, right? Correct. The, the only one that's actually mostly related to the cancer is the prostate-specific antigen, or PSA. We'll see that in prostate tissue and see that in prostate cancer almost exclusively. The other ones that we use when we think of it, people talk about CA, CA125, that's an ovarian cancer marker. Th- those are... Yeah, CEA we see in colon cancer sometimes and a handful of them occasionally but used in some of the GI cancers. Yeah, and you're right. Those are not specific. They are not specifically made by the cancer. A lot of them are dependent on just abdominal distension like CEA, right. which will go up with any kind of abdominal distension. So they're they're difficult to get an idea of how, how do we use them in the treatment of cancer patients. And you got to take the results a little bit with a grain of salt. They're not nearly as reliable. Like a very high level may mean something or it may mean nothing. That's correct. Yeah, Even PSA has its flaws. If hmm. you had a recent biopsy or you had recent prostatitis, it's going to be skewed high. And there's also a lot of people who have a really nasty prostate cancer, very widespread, whose PSAs are perfectly normal. Not all prostate cancers express that protein. That's correct. You get those very immature behaving cancers that are fast growing and they typically don't have a very high PSA. And that's one of the reasons why it's not a perfect test. It's very useful. It's it's of the tumor markers. It's the one that's got the best track record. It's the one that's got the most utility. It's the one that's got the most data behind it. And using it to guide therapy is still a, a reasonable thing to do in many cases, but it's far from perfect. Obviously, yeah. it's got a significant role in screening. I agree. Yeah, the screening role is there. And then also just following that level and, and where do you go in the future? And do you add anything to other hormone therapy if you're worried about it, if it's going up and you're concerned that people are going to start to develop metastatic disease, specifically in bone or other sites with the prostate cancer? So if we're not measuring the cancer itself, if we're not tracking the cancer itself when we draw blood, all of these people that come in, particularly the ones on treatment, and they're getting all these blood tests, what are we looking for? The treatment ones are pretty easy. We're actually not looking at the cancer at all in the treatment ones. We're looking at people who are getting chemotherapy. We're looking at organ function, so it's safe to give chemotherapy. That's really the point of all these labs during chemotherapy. Liver function okay? Is kidney function okay? Those are the two organs that predominantly excrete or deactivate our chemotherapy, and we need to know those numbers so that it's safe to give the chemotherapy. And even adjust the dose based on some drugs like carboplatin are dosed specifically on that day's kidney function level. Correct. Exactly. And one of the other big ones we're looking at is bone marrow function because many of the more traditional forms of chemotherapy as a side effect will affect bone marrow or the blood factory. We, we need to look at people's blood levels of red cells and white cells and platelets to determine have they recovered sufficiently for us to give them treatment? Yeah, is it safe in regards to infection risk? And mm-hmm. is it safe in regards to the anemia? We don't want to cause too severe of anemia. Mm-hmm. Some patients have significant cardiac or stroke history, and the more anemia they have, the more risk they are for, for those events. Right. Um, infections are our biggest risk. When we think about chemotherapy, mortality, morbidity, infections really the thing that we're watching out for. And, and more bone marrow suppression and infection can be fatal for a lot of our patients. I think that's where a lot of the misunderstandings understanding comes from. People come in, say, for they're getting their adjuvant chemotherapy for colon cancer. They come in every two weeks. They get a blood test every two weeks. Or if they're getting their adjuvant chemotherapy for breast cancer, they're coming in every couple of weeks and maybe every week for a while getting blood tests. That's a big part of the assessment. And then after they're all done and after we, we're hoping 
the cancers gone and gone for good. We send them on their way and they may never have another blood test again. It's not even routinely recommended. And they think, wait, who's looking? We're monitoring the treatment that you have already completed. And we just don't need to be looking at those sorts of things anymore unless you're having a problem. Yeah, that's exactly what a lot of the guidelines are, especially with breast cancer. Breast cancer, the guidelines are to not draw any labs and not draw any tumor markers because they, they confuse you, cause issues in regards to anxiety, cause you to order more lab te- more tests in regards to imaging, potentially even biopsies, and they don't change outcomes. And, mm-hmm. and that's why we've gotten rid of We're really starting to focus on outcomes. So what's outcome changing? If something's outcome changing with a lab, then we should order it. Or mm-hmm. if we can find something early enough that we can do something about in a curative intent. And we just don't have those kind of testing right now available in the world of labs. So staying away from them and not causing anxiety, driving up cost, is the way to go. I'd agree. Maybe one day. I'm hoping that eventually the dream of being able to get all the information we need from a tube of blood. Do you think there's any other widespread misunderstandings about blood tests, what what blood doctors are looking for, what cancer doctors are looking for, and, and what we're not looking for? With today's electronic medical records and access portals, patients can often look at their labs on their phone at the same time and in the same detail as their doctors see those same results. Transparency is a good thing. But never before has so many patients come face-to-face with so much complex medical data. Sorting through it isn't always easy. And patients may not be able to tell when an abnormal test result means trouble or when it's just background noise. Uh, There's misunderstandings, I think, with the CBC at times where we have a lot of red blood cell indices that are used in certain aspects of why do people have anemia. And our cancer patients get a little confused because they come in and they got all these weird numbers, MCV, MCHC, RDW. Why are these all so skewed? I must be really sick. And it's like, not really. It's from our bone marrow suppression and the chemotherapy. It's expected to be seen. Those numbers are helpful if you come in with a new anemia. They are not all that helpful for you because we are causing that. Yeah. And a bone marrow that's recovering from chemotherapy is going to make a lot of funny-looking cells, and that creates a lot of noise in some of those other numbers you're talking about. Yeah, and, and now with us releasing all the results to patients through the my charts of the world, they see all that stuff in real time. And a lot of people are very in tune to their health and realize, see these numbers, and people without education get a little worried about it and some anxiety and some of it can be alleviated in our clinic appointments by saying, here's what we expect from your CBC. Honestly, so do a lot of people with a lot of education. A lot of MDs get concerned about some of these results. I mean, we wind up seeing a lot of these people for questions because it is. It's very complicated. You bring up a really good point. I think it, with lab tests generally and not just looking at blood counts or looking at blood chemistries or anything like that, anytime somebody goes in for a battery of tests and I mean, we all have for the most part now access to our own medical information through a patient portal and you look online or you can get a printed result if you're a little bit more low-tech kind of person. The abnormal lab tests are not hard to recognize because they're usually flagged either in yellow or red. And I think any time somebody gets a battery of tests and they see a whole bunch of tests flag abnormal, they're like, oh my God, that must be disease. An abnormal lab test must mean disease. But that's not the case at all, is it? That is not the case. There's, And we think about our lab tests, too. They're 95% of the standard deviation in Olmsted County, Minnesota. People that fall outside of that, and we're all not Scandinavian. We all don't live in the middle of Minnesota. 
And there's a good subset, especially African-Americans in the white blood cell count, that, that fall outside of that. And we have to be cognizant of that. I think of it like just because somebody falls outside of the normal range of, say, height or weight, you don't automatically walk up to them and say, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? And a lot of these blood tests are, are like that, too, because the, the human body, the human system is a, is a fairly complex thing, but it does have a lot of variation in how it works. So a lot of fluctuation in many of these numbers. I, I think it's a great thing that patients more and more are, they have access to their own data, that they're more directly involved in the care and they're asking questions. And I, I think that's fantastic. I think where there's probably still some work to be done is in helping patients understand how to use all this information. That, that I mean, let's face it, much of it is complicated. I need help to process a lot of the complex parts of my life, like my tax form and the inner workings of the internal combustion engine, which are still a mystery to me. And I, I need experts to help walk me through it. And we think of those things, what's the first thing you and I do, or I'm looking at a new tax code, is I, I Google it. Yeah. Like, where is this tax code? You go Google high white blood cell count, I mean, you're going to get a multitude of things that are going right. to scare the crap out of you. That's the problem that we lie in. It's hard to judge what that number actually means without having a lot of education and just history of deciphering what the meaning is. It's, the Internet's a fantastic tool, and I encourage everybody to use it, but it is real easy to stumble into reading somebody else's mail without realizing it. <laughs> I agree. Brad, as always, fantastic talking with you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, it was great talking with you, Mitch, and you have a fabulous rest of your day. I will. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. Mm-hmm.